I think though the deeper work that would really make a significant impact on people who are struggling with all of that external validation stuff and the overcompensation, the perfectionism and all of that is to really work on a deep level on their beliefs because everything trickles down from there. International. This is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. On today's show, I'm joined by Dr. Sharon Grossman. Dr. Grossman is a psychologist, life coach, and speaker who is an expert in emotional intelligence and managing burnout in high-achieving professionals. She graduated more than two decades ago with a bachelor's in psychology and since has completed a double master's and a doctorate in counseling psychology from Fordham University. For the past two decades, Dr. Grossman has worked with lawyers, doctors, and other high-achieving professionals to improve mental health and well-being, as all are prone to sacrificing their self-care as a result of work demands. Individuals she describes as having too much on their mind, no direction, and end up focusing on unimportant items while forgetting about more important ones, thus entering a paradoxical downward spiral of perceived underachievement and eventually exhaustion. If you're thinking this sounds eerily familiar, then you perhaps get why I was so keen to have Dr. Grossman on the show. Dr. Grossman published her best-selling book, The 7E Solution to Burnout, in 2020, a book she hopes will help more high achievers transform their lives from exhausted to extraordinary, a book I strongly recommend you check out. Now, just before before we jump into the episode, a quick word from today's show sponsor, which is the Thrive Community. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like an imposter or burned out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you're not broken or a bad fit for the profession. You're probably just missing some super important skills no one teaches at university. Skills you will learn as part of the VEDEX Thrive Community. Thrive is a race accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. Join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. Learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you by visiting Vetex International today. Now back to the show. Veterinarians are no strangers to the subjects of exhaustion, burnout, compassion fatigue and worse. We're smart. We get that these things are risks. But despite this, too many seem to default to one of two options. Collapse and leave the profession altogether, further exacerbating the effects for those that remain or grimly struggle on becoming ever more disillusioned with a career they once loved. What excited me about having this conversation with Dr. Gross was the opportunity to shine a light on a different pathway. This interview is a wee bit different from a normal format as it's more about a subject than a person. And during the show, I share a few of my own struggles in the hope that you can find both context and courage to get to work on what you need to do. So without further ado, find a couch, lay back and enjoy this part conversation, part therapy session with the empowering Dr. Sharon Grossman. Welcome everybody to another episode of Blunt Dissection. Normally on the show, we are getting to know an individual, or very occasionally we do sort of very specific issue-focused episodes. And today, I think this is going to be a bit of a hybrid of both. So welcome to the show, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here. I am really excited as well. Now, we had a little bit of a false start, somewhat ironically, because I was just exhausted and feeling really crappy after the last time. So super ironic, given the subject that we're talking about for the most part today. So thank you for coming. I am super excited. And normally, I was going to say normally I ask like some kind of really deep, meaningful, like usually idiotic question just as an icebreaker. And I was going to say, let's cut straight to it because it's a really important topic. But then I saw 
your sort of handle and your the name on the the podcast recording software and it says charming wires and now i've got to ask what's charming wires all about was that yours that the was that the platform doing that it was not me <laughs> i was <laughs> like what the uh, maybe this is a new thing i've not noticed before but welcome everybody to another episode of blunt dissection normally on the show we are getting to know an individual or very occasionally we do sort of very specific issue focused episodes and today i think this is going to be a bit of a hybrid of both so welcome to the show dr sharon grossman thank you so much very excited to be here i am really excited as well now we had a little bit of a false start somewhat ironically because i was just exhausted and feeling really crappy super ironic given the subject that we're talking about for the most part today so thank you for coming and i thought we could maybe kick off the conversation about this huge topic of burnout and such a big thing in veterinary medicine. First of all, I just actually just wondered about your background. How did you wind up with this kind of being your focus? You know, you've you've done so much in the field with your book, with your courses, with all of the people you've coached and counseled. And actually, heck, there's a whole conversation in itself. How did you wind up in this field? What's your backstory? Well, I was trained to be a psychologist. And so I've spent the last two decades really doing therapy, uh, mostly one-on-one with people. And over the course of my development, you can say, I really found that, you know, everybody has to find their style, as you know, when you're practicing. So like you go to school and they teach you how to do your job, so to speak, how to check all the boxes But ultimately, like your personality kind of comes through. So it's like, how do you work with your clients? And one of the things that I'm really into is personal development. And so I was always kind of looking for the next thing to share with my clients. And so kind of offline, when I wasn't in session, I was constantly looking for things that would help them. So I was doing my homework in between sessions. And then I would show up to the session and be like, I'm hearing that, you know, you're really struggling with X. Here's a really great book, or here's a video, or here's let's do an exercise, you know, so I was kind of bringing all of this stuff into the sessions. And what I found is that much of the way in which I operate actually has nothing to do with my previous training in school. It's really so much more, you're laughing, but it's so true, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was like really more like bringing myself into the session. And what I found is that, well, I am, you know, when I'm in therapy mode, I am helping people that are, they're coming to me because they're struggling with things like depression, anxiety, trauma, things of that nature. What I really found myself being super passionate about is coaching people. And I was actually integrating a lot of coaching into my therapy sessions until I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I really just want to do pure coaching. And there's lots more to the story, but there's a question straight away is like, so what's the difference between the two? Yeah. You, you know, if you ask that of 10 people, you might get 10 different answers. <laughs> but it's I'll like give you my answer. radiographs. Exactly. <laughs> The way I like to think about it is that at least my experience of being a therapist has been that you work with people who, you know, I was working for a group practice. And so I was getting people who were coming in through their insurance company. And you have a little bit of a say of, you know, who you take on. 
But ultimately, you really don't know. It's not like a much of a vetting process. They're vetting you as much as you're vetting them. But, you know, they're also coming with a certain mindset. And for some of them, it's I am anxious and I need a therapist at all times. And so they are interested in being in therapy forever. And that's never how I saw my role. I always saw my role as I am here to help you build up your toolbox so that you don't need me anymore, right? And then you can move on and I can go and serve the next person. But I ended up with some folks that like, even if it's on a subconscious level, like sometimes would hold back from fully transforming so that they'd never have to kind of leave. And other people were doing really well. And I'd actually have to like kick them out, so to speak, and be like, you're good. And it's time to go. You know, then they get all anxious. And I'd be like, and my door is always open. And you can always come back. Right. And sometimes they do. And most of the time they don't because they're fine. Right. But they just don't trust that they're fine. And so that's my role of kind of like helping them feel more empowered. Like, listen, I got to like cut the cord and let you out to like experience the world on your own. And then you can see for yourself, like if you really need this, but I don't want this to be a crutch. Okay. Segue sidebar question. And this was something, okay. So I, I want to speak candidly here now for a couple of reasons. One, it's the only thing I can really authentically speak to Two, because, you know, mental health issues shouldn't be taboo. We should be able to talk about them. all yeah. of them. So I went through a divorce a couple of years ago and some other, you know, business stuff going on, really hard period, big amount of stress. And I thought, yeah, I thought I'm just going to gut through this like I normally gut through everything. And then I went away for a weekend uh, with some pals, watched some rugby, which is the, you know, the UK equivalent of American football, except played without shoulder pads. And you stay on the pitch for the whole game and, you know, much better, much faster, much more physical game. Went up to this, had a great weekend, came back and ended up with a weird bleed in my eye and I'm like what the heck is that and then I measure my blood pressure and I'm like holy crap my blood pressure is actually through the roof here with the sort of stress that's going on and so long story short one of the things I thought you just need to get some of this stuff out of your head this baggage you're carrying so I went along and that's when I that's the first time I saw a therapist and I still can't tell you why it worked but just speaking and being able to download in a very safe space with somebody who wasn't going to judge you at all, it was just a really good listener, was just really amazing. And I spent the whole time, though, because I was really used to coaching and going, okay, so what's the tool? What can I do? Where's the framework? And the, and, and the therapist was just like, this is the framework. You're doing the work. And I was like, oh, okay, that's weird. But it wasn't. And over a period of weeks, I just noticed, uh, I didn't notice I wasn't feeling, I didn't feel bad. But I just noticed a lightness starting to come back that maybe I hadn't noticed and was missing there. And so maybe there's some stuff in there we can dig into because I think there's a lot that people might relate to in, in just in professional life generally, that you're not noticing the weight piling up on you. But I got to a point in those sessions of thinking, I'm not sure what I'm doing here anymore. Like I'm just now I'm just talking and I'm and I'm not feeling emotional about anything and not and it's kind of gone. Like it was almost like a bubble had kind of burst. And that sounds like a bit of a downer, but in the end, it was like, where'd you stop this? And so I stopped it for a bit and then I started again. And now actually I just book a a session a month just to go chat about whatever's there and just, just have somebody who can listen and there's no outcome expected. And I find it really useful. 
how does one choose a therapist and how does one know when is the right time to stop? That's a really good question. And I think with regards to the first one, which is about how to choose a therapist, it just has to feel right. The thing that you just described is really explaining what we call, you know, what is the number one most important thing in therapy? You know, we always say, oh, there's different kinds of therapies and different modalities and strategies and everything. But ultimately, what we've That's seen- quite overwhelming, all of that choice. Yeah, but what we've seen to be the most critical element typically is the therapeutic alliance, right? Which is basically your relationship with the other person because ultimately you have to feel comfortable enough to share your most intimate details with a stranger. And if you don't trust that person that you're sitting across from, then you're not going to open up. You're going to hold back and then you don't have the opportunity to fully heal, and that's what they're there to help you do. So if you find somebody that you feel comfortable with, that is one of the criteria that I would say start with. But I would want to add to that one other piece of criteria, and that is this. Depending on what it is that you're struggling with, I think there are certain modalities that are more appropriate that can help you heal faster. So I'll give you an example. I have a friend who went through some horrible trauma and he ended up going to a therapist who sounds a lot like your therapist, like super supportive. Like this guy that he was seeing was really incredibly generous and, and loving and wonderful. However, it only got him so far because it was really just traditional talk therapy. And what somebody who has very uh, extensive trauma needs is somebody who's trained in trauma because there are really, really cool strategies out there and techniques out there that people who are trained in this stuff learn that can help you have really quick results that you don't get when you're using your cognitive brain. Right. And that's what talk therapy is. It's talk is it's a top-down strategy. We talk about your thoughts so that you can have some emotional relief. And that's really helpful for most people most of the time. But when you have severe emotional issues going on, sometimes you need a bottom-up technique. And that is working from the body as opposed to from your mind. And so it just really depends on what you're looking for and what you're struggling with. And so depending on that, I would say that's going to help you figure out, you know, what you need. And as a consumer, I think that people don't really understand often that there are different kinds of therapists and that, you know, they're like, all I know is I want to work with a female or a male. Like they're just looking at these little superficial things that maybe can help them feel more comfortable in the room, but that's not necessarily going to help them heal and that they need to know more about that. I came at this from a place of thinking, well, look, I, I understand marketing and I understand how to not really game the system, but game the system. You know, you still have to be good. And if you're good and you know marketing, then you can really do 
pretty well. Uh, if you're good and you don't do marketing, you know, not so good. So I, so I understand there can be, but you can also be bad and do good marketing and do pretty well, right? So exactly. I was really uncomfortable when making a choice. You know, I, I'd gotten to the point of thinking about doing it so many times and then gotten completely overwhelmed by, uh, is CBT right? Is this right? Is that, is hypnotherapy? I was like, I don't understand any of this. Yeah. And I totally don't trust, you know, and I was looking at Google reviews and I'm like, I don't think that's a good way to choose. You know, that's how people choose a veterinarian. And I'm, and I'm not sure it's even a good way to choose in anything. You know, it's a social proof, but it's a gameable social proof. So I shied away from the decision for ages. And in the end, it was, yeah, I went to see, yeah, I, I just decided I'm going to go holistic and I'm going to attack this from multiple different angles with exercise. And I was already doing a bit of mindfulness, but like everybody else, I'd totally forgotten to do the mindfulness bit of mindfulness ever for like three months. And then I got injured and I couldn't exercise. So that then took out a huge chunk of my process in managing my mental well-being. So then I I went to a, uh, it was a natural a herbalist and massage therapist. And, and it was she that recommended this person after sort of listening to my story a little bit. And that's how I found the person, which was really useful. But the number of times that I almost at, at various points, maybe in the three or four years before that, for lots of different reasons, thought, I think I could do with just talking to somebody here. And I just drew back. It was a little overwhelming. Are there ways of, are there good ways, reliable ways or places people can get a little bit more insight so they don't have to get to the point of, you know, having a <laughs> their eye going, eyeball going red before they're forced over the line? Well, like I said, I think that for the majority of people, if they're coming in with something like, depression, anxiety, something, you know, I don't want to make light of those diagnoses, but something that is pretty standard, then I think almost any therapist can help. Yeah. And then it really comes down to the relationship. But I think if you've got something that is more layered, more complex, something that is really severely, like, I don't know, maybe, um, it's not just you've had a traumatic experience. Like, you know, I was in a car crash a month yeah. ago and I'm having flashbacks or something. But like, I grew up in a family that, you know, my father was an alcoholic and I was molested or something, you know, something where it's like this chronic thing. And now it's created, you know, it's shaped my personality. And so now I live with uncertainty and feeling unsafe in the world. And so like, I'm getting into all this kind of trouble in my life where like, maybe I'm sabotaging and I'm in the worst relationships. And now my husband beats me or, you know, something where it's such a yeah. complex picture. Yeah. Talking alone, you can be there for the rest of your life. I mean, honestly, there's so much to unpack. But when you work with somebody who is trained in complex trauma, for instance, you can have amazing turnarounds in a very relatively short amount of time. And so those are the kind of exceptions that I would say, seek out somebody who is more niche, right? That really gets, like really specializes in what you need like I said, if you're just struggling with some, you know, mood irregulation and things like that, you know, it's really just about finding somebody that you feel comfortable with. But I do think that if you have more that you want to get out of it, you need to do a little bit more digging. And 
I mean, in at least in the States, I know there's a website called Psychology Today where you can search up based on keywords, based on techniques, based on your insurance, based on location. Like there's so many things that you can use. And I'm sure like every country has their own version of that. And, you know, sometimes people like to ask for referrals. And I've had actually clients of mine who've referred their friends and said, like, you know, you have to go speak to so-and-so. And usually that works out. But I also want to say that just because it, you know, your friend had a wonderful experience doesn't mean it's a good fit for you. So I'll give yourself permission to interview the therapist and see how you feel. And if it feels good and if it feels like it's a good fit from also like their training and their expertise, then give it a shot. And maybe you give it, you know, a period of a month and then say, you know, if, if by the end of that it doesn't feel right, then I can start over with someone else. I think one of the biggest things that I see is that people don't like to tell their story and start over. Right. They're like, oh, well, you already know my story and I have to start over. I got to tell the next person all this stuff again. And like, it's I don't like want to do that. big emotional hill and investment is all front loaded. Yeah. And if you're already in therapy for a long time and that's your one reason for not leaving, but your therapy's going absolutely nowhere, then you really want to reconsider that because it's kind of like being stuck in a bad marriage where you're like, well, now I got to like go dating again and I got to like meet another person and then we're going to live together and I have to move my stuff. And it's like, yeah, but what price are you paying by staying in this bad marriage? Like, you know, at some point you got to decide, like, is it worth the extra effort to have happiness in my life? Right. And if you're in therapy, the whole purpose of being there so you can heal from whatever it is that's blocking you. So you know, I think that at the end of the day, like you want to be strategic about who you find and you want to have realistic expectations of like what they can promise you. And typically, if you're going in for traditional talk therapy, they're going to tell you it's going to take minimum X number of months, right? And insurance companies typically like to see people kind of wrap up within six months or something like that. And then you need to get approval to continue sort of a thing. And uh, sometimes if you go to somebody who's more specifically trained in what you're looking for, you can have a much quicker turnaround. And sometimes people like are so used to it taking so long that they have a hard time believing that this is, is going to work. And sometimes they're even resistant to it. You know, and I always tell people like, just don't overthink it. Just allow right. it to happen. And whatever you feel, you feel right? Like you can't know in advance what it's going to be, but if you get there, just like, let's celebrate that, you know? I like it. So that's super useful. And I, I wanted to move the conversation over to the, you know, the, the subject, which is, it feels like there is a global pandemic and it doesn't involve a virus, but it involves this word that you are super familiar with. And, you know, this is your professional, I don't know if love's the right the right word, but certainly your your calling to assist people with. So let's talk about this burnout thing. And I just wanted to start real easy. What is your working definition of a burnout? Yeah. The way I like to define it is to actually start with the definition of stress. 
Okay. Because burnout is essentially chronic stress over time, right? So when we have acute stress, which we all experience all the time, then we're very quickly over it. You know, like you're driving in traffic and you got to get to your appointment and you feel stressed for about a minute or five, whatever the case may be. And then like the next day, you don't even remember that it happened. You're kind of really quickly over it. But if every time you have to commute to work, you're in gridlock traffic day in and day out, it starts to kind of tear at you, right? It kind of starts to have an impact. It's like this, I call it almost like the onion effect where every day there's another layer and another layer and it builds up until you get so sick of commuting to your job that you either ask to work from home or you find another job, right? That sort of a thing. (laughs) And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about acute or or chronic stress rather. And when we take another step back and look at what is stress actually, What I like to tell people is that stress, you know, we often have this mistaken notion that whatever is happening to us is the thing that is causing us to feel the way that we feel. And so if you are stressed out, it's because of the traffic, right? As an example. And what I like to teach people is that there's actually a step in between. So you've got the traffic and you've got the end result, which is you feeling stressed out. And the The step in between is your thoughts about the traffic. So what are you telling yourself about the traffic that is causing you to feel stressed out? And usually it's like, I'm going to be late or I hate this, this sucks or, you know, something, something really negative. And then you feel the negative effects of that. But you could just as easily have a very different experience in that exact same situation. So let's say you know that your commute is, you know, maybe 30 minutes without traffic and an hour and a half with traffic. And let's say you said, you know what, I know it takes me an hour and a half to get home. So I'm going to plan to call my extended family members and have a chance to kind of chat with them while I'm in the car. I've got an hour and a half to kill every single day. I really miss my family. I'm going to spend some time talking to them. Or I don't really have a lot of time to read, but I can put on an audio book and I can get through a book a week because I've got an hour and a half in the car. The next thing you know, you're looking forward to being in that car for an hour and a half because you're so into the book, right? Or you're jamming out to your favorite music and it's your time to kind of decompress from work and you're so like happy to have that time before you go home and you got to deal with your dog and the kids and the and the spouse and everything else and dinner and, and all the things, right? So it really is about like, how do you embrace situations? And so much of it is about managing your mind that is going to create the biggest difference in your experience. And so when people aren't doing this work, and usually it's because they don't understand that they have that power, they just kind of make the assumption that if I feel stressed, and I'm in traffic, it's because of the traffic, right, then they feel very disempowered. It's like, then I need there not to be any traffic for me not to feel this way. And I don't have control over the traffic. So then it's kind of like, very disempowering. There's nothing I can do. And so when we are in situations where we feel like there's nothing we can do and it's taking this 
incredible toll on us. Then over time that layers up and then we get to that place of burnout where we're just so exhausted and we're just like, I can't do this anymore. Where does that, God, I've got so many questions pinging off in my head here. We've only got an hour and a half here, right? So, okay. <laughs> so you've just changed my definition of stress. I used to have this sort of little definition in my own head, you know, just was like a st- stress is caused by either lack of time a lack of skill or a lack of control in getting something done. That was my very alpha-driven person version of stress. I would attack the time, the skill, or the control areas. But actually, it just makes perfect sense. Stress is much more the story you create around the life circumstances you're experiencing in the moment, if I'm hearing you right. Yeah, there's some researchers that I kind of mentioned in my book that I quoted about their definition of stress, which I think is actually very helpful for people. So it's, if you think about it as an equation, it's when the demands of the situation exceed your resources. That's good. Right? So, and and that's so perfect because if you think about it, if you've got two people that are stuck in traffic and one of them feels like I can't do this another day, right? And the other person is like, oh, this is so great. Like this gives me an opportunity to listen to my book. They're going to be in the exact same situation and have a very different outcome. And what we see is this happens at work. So your boss comes to you and gives you a project. Like if you have lots of self-doubt and a lack of confidence in your ability, you're going to feel really stressed out and anxious about doing this project. Yep. Because you're in your mind, the demands of that project exceed what you have to give. And so it's like, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. What am I going to do? I'm going to make a mess of this. I'm going to lose my job. And you like spiral. Versus if you really believe in your ability, right? And you feel like I have resources to match the demands of this situation, then you're like, oh, I totally got this. I can totally do this, right? And so even think about in your career, like there's there's a trajectory that we go through. So as a veterinarian, when you were starting out, think about how you felt going to work and having to, let's say, perform surgery for the first time, <laughs> right? Versus how you feel now when you have to go in and do it. Very different. Completely. Right. And so it's like the situation is exactly the same. The demands are exactly the same. But when you think about your perception of yourself and how able you are to cope with what the demands are of you right now, then you're going to have a different story. And that's going to determine how stressed out you feel. And so we talk about people who, for instance, have imposter syndrome. And it doesn't matter how many certificates they have and how much training they get and how specialized they become. It's like so long as they believe that no matter what I do, I'm never good enough. I'm always like, and I have so many clients like this, right? I have so many clients that, I mean, people who are top executives, right? They keep getting promoted. Everybody can see how good they are at doing what they are doing. And yet they have not caught up to other people's perceptions of them because internally they still believe that they're not good enough. And that leads them to feel very anxious about being found out. Like maybe tomorrow they'll realize that I'm really not this great and then I'll lose my job. 
So all the bad things are going to happen tomorrow. Like today, yeah, they kind of are applauding me and I did a great job on this. But then tomorrow they're going to give me the next project. Or I'm going to send that email and I'm going to make a mess of it. And then they're going to realize and then the bad things are going to happen. That's where the other shoe's going to drop. And they live their life with that constant fear, which stems from their inner perceptions just being completely skewed really. And so that's what's causing all this inner turmoil. Whereas like, if you look at their life from the outside, you'd be like, Oh, my God, this person is doing amazing. You have nothing to worry about. Why are they so worried about? You know, they're constantly it sounds like they're constantly like the donkey with the carrot dangling over its back on a pole that's chasing the carrot it can never actually get to. Because it's the, the carrot is the mirage it's trying to get to everyone else sees the damn thing running around at 100 100 miles an hour thinking, ah, that donkey's going fast. <laughs> the donkey thinks I'm not getting anywhere. There are so many different ways we could blast off from here. I would like to come at this from two different perspectives because one of the things that I see and I hear, and it's not just in veterinary medicine, like it, in veterinary medicine, you hear about practice owners saying, this generation just can't cope. They've never had it easier. They've never worked shorter hours. They've never had more support. They've never had more resource. And yet they're breaking. And and we have some really scary stats for the, you know, for the future of our profession that we're seeing levels of satisfaction largely linked to burnout. There's a misalignment and people are feeling pretty damn bad about their professional lives. The career's not met their expectations and they're leaving in significant enough numbers that despite there being more veterinary schools on the planet never before with more graduates, we have a a really acute shortage of clinical talent. And that's not a, that's not something that, that when I'm talking to professional colleagues in medicine or dentistry or law, this isn't the only industry that this is happening in. I don't want to wander into the cliche of the millennial because that's just, that's too soft, too easy. Uh, I'm not buying it. But there is something there when people who are my age seem to universally without prompting, have the same complaint or the same shaped complaint over and over and over again. So I would like to you know, maybe approach this with your insight from both sides of the fence. One side being, and actually just the first part is just looking from the outside, floating above it all without standing on either side of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So looking above this whole thing, first thing is, is there something generationally going on is there a you know we talk about resilience we talk about yeah i think my parents would have called it character building back in the day when we had to do tough stuff and just put up with it but is there a reason why we're now talking about burnout far far more is it one of these things that we're just more aware of it we're more compassionate or is there something going on you know that there's feels like there's just this big meat grinder of the workplace and that this there's a generational thing that it's just not a good fit What's your perspective on that? Well, it's really hard for me to answer that because I think it's probably like a person by person sort of situation. I think everybody deals with things a little bit differently and we all come to the table with different levels of confidence and different skill set. So it's hard to say, but if you have like a specific case in mind. I think in this, it probably goes quite well talking about imposter syndrome and burnout you know people seem to burn out very very quickly 
you know, we're we're the, the highest levels of burnout. There are studies in veterinary medicine now where you know the highest levels of burnout are in the youngest people, the people mm. who you might think would have the most energy, who are being mentored, but actually they're entering this world where the mentoring is in short supply. We're not very good at it, and that was before we were deluged in this post-COVID world with. A, a massive increase in the number of pets and a complexity because everybody's doing curbside appointments. They're not, you know, yeah. it's just harder to do things. And of course the world's anxiety levels have gone through the roof with, with COVID. Sure. So it's just all of that against that backdrop that we're, you know, we're now seeing burnout as kind of an epidemic. You know, it, it's the thing that is talked about more often than anything else. It's the, if we publish an article about burnout, that's the thing that goes off the counter more than anything else. It's not just a hot button topic. It's clearly something that's affecting an awful lot of people. Yeah. Is there something going on? Like what has changed? Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind as you're talking about this is I've been reading a lot about the, in general, in medicine, that there's this epidemic of like more of a shortage of staff. A, because I think hospitals and clinics just figure ways to get more out of the people that they already have and be the people that they have, if they're burning out, then they're either not pulling their weight or they're dropping out. So you end up with a shortage. And what that means is now people that are there have to do a lot more in the same amount of time or work extra hours. And then you don't have as much time to recover. So I think that's a big problem. Yeah, And if you're coming in, brand new then think about like when you first started and how like we just talked about how when you're starting everything feels more stressful because you're still trying to figure out how to do things and what your style is and like reach that level of confidence that only comes with experience and if now right off the bat not only are you not quite there yet in terms of your experience but now and your confidence but now i'm going to give you that much more work you feel overwhelmed yeah it makes sense how do you know like what are the signs and are there a range of signs like there's there's some that strike me as being you know more obvious than others but how does one pick these things up and you know, what's the sort of self-awareness that's required to know I, I'm kind of running in the red here? Yeah. And that's a really important question to answer because even though we use burnout colloquially, I think people don't necessarily know what to look for in the same way that like we use stress as a term, but you had a very different definition than I have. And so you're going to be looking at it differently. You know, if you're defining it as a lack of skill, then you're going to be like, well, then I need to have more skills. I need to do more trainings. Now you've got another thing you got to do on top of the things you're already doing that were stressing you out. Now you've got even more things, you know, to stress you out. And maybe that's the answer. But how many times do we say that's the answer? We get the skill and then we're like, but that wasn't the thing that is supposed to help me. Now I got to go in this whole other training. And then we just keep training ourselves to the nth degree and we're feeling stressed the whole time. Right. So with burnout, I would say this, you want to look for, I mean, one of the things that shows up first and foremost is just a complete sense of exhaustion. And typically it's a little bit different than if you just went out and ran a marathon and felt physically exhausted 
burnout is more of a mental exhaustion. And so when you notice that you just can't focus, you can't concentrate at work, it might mean you just don't have, you just have a hard time finding the motivation and the excitement about going to work, right? It just feels heavy. Then you know you're kind of dragging, right? That's usually the biggest sign, the first thing people notice. It ties into two other symptoms. One is your attitude starts to change and you become really cynical. Mm. And ultimately what we find is that the third main thing that you see is that your productivity starts to go down. Your sense of accomplishment decreases because, I mean, it makes sense. If you can't focus as well and you've got a bad attitude and you're not showing up fully, then you're not going to have the same results. But people don't understand that they're in this cycle. They just think like, oh, I'm just tired. I just need to sleep. Or they don't really understand what's happening. And what they do is they'll say, I used to be able to do this. Clearly, I'm not able to do it now. There's something wrong with me. Right? And then people can start becoming like really anxious about that. The not knowing, the not understanding of what's actually happening and the feeling that it's actually happening and I don't have control. And then people, what do people do when they feel out of control? Uh, I was going to say drink because I'm Scottish. If that's the right <laughs> answer. Well, yeah. So we have coping you, you try You try and control what you can. You're trying to control things, right? And so that's where we become like super controlling of individuals or circumstances. And then if we can't control them, then we say to ourselves, well, you know, my boss or my job isn't going to make me do less work. And because I don't have control over that, then the only option for me is I just have to change my career. Mm. And that's where you see a lot of people dropping out. And it's really kind of heartbreaking because most of the people that I speak to that are in medicine love medicine. That's what's so sad about this is that every, there's nobody inventing medicine for the money. They're, they're in it sometimes because they love animals, sometimes because they love figuring things out. And this was one of the hardest places to go. And it was a problem to solve to get in there. Yeah. There's a few in it for the people and the relationships. But it's, you know, there is this, it's a great profession to be in because, there, you know, there isn't a lot of this sort of, you know, the big medicine, the, the huge pharma influence that you find in other medical sectors, or certainly there wasn't. And there is a very much more collegiate friendly approach. But what you've just described almost perfectly is what we're seeing is people becoming jaded very quickly, cynical, and deciding I have no control here. So I'm going to change careers and giving up on something that they spent probably a decade thinking about doing. And then four years if you're in the US, five years if you're in the UK or Australia, studying, and an enormous amount of personal you know, financial debt to get into, just to walk away from that and do something else. you know. And so the, the big question is then, if you can recognize it, what can you do about it to mean that you don't have to walk away from your dream? We're coming back to the foundation of our conversation, which is if burnout is about chronic stress, 
and stress is about perception, then if you work on your mind and learn to think differently and understand that you actually have control, not control in the sense of I'm going to change the circumstance or I'm going to make this other person be different, which is how we typically focus when we feel out of control is like everybody else needs to change and then I'll be happy. Right. Or my job needs to be less demanding <laughs> and then I'll that. be able to work in it. <laughs> That's not what we mean by control. So true control is having control over the one and only thing that you have control over, which is always yourself. And that means you have control over your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors. That's it. So one of the things that I try to teach people is how to become masterful in terms of managing their thought process, shifting their way of thinking to being one that is a lot more empowered. So I will give them, for instance, some questions that they can use to challenge their brain. Their brain is going to come up with a whole bunch of interpretations. They're going to make things mean things that they don't necessarily mean because we have these default ways of thinking about things. And then they're going to have a choice and say like, hey, you know what? I'm noticing, and this is where the mindfulness comes in. I'm noticing that I am feeling this way. And if you can understand that your emotions are a result of your thoughts, you can kind of rewind the tape and ask yourself, what is the thought? What is the thing that my brain is coming up with about this situation? And if that is not how you want to feel, then you get to decide how to think about it differently that aligns with how you want to feel. So often what I'll do is I'll ask people, okay, you're getting a divorce or your boss is really demanding or whatever the case may be. How do you want to feel about that? Okay, I, at the risk of turning this into a personal therapy session recorded for the whole world to hear, <laughs> but I feel like this is the way to bring this to life for people is to use an example and, you know, why not make this an example? So I would like to feel that it was a good decision and that it's not the end of, you know, life, meaning relationships forevermore. So that's a thought. So when I ask, how do you want to feel? It should be a one word answer. And it should be like sad, sad calm, happy, excited, irritated, frustrated, you know, a feeling. And so how, you know how you feel when you're going through your divorce. And the question is, how do you want to feel? Happy again. You want to feel happy. Okay. Now for some people, that's going to be a stretch. They're going through a divorce and they're like, I want to be happy, but I'm not necessarily happy about getting the divorce. Right. For some people, yeah, like they're thrilled to be rid of their partner and like to have like the start over and like, yay, that's easy, right? But for people who are really struggling and and it doesn't have to be divorce, it can be like anything in your life. Like, you know, you are working on an animal and the animal dies at your hands and you'd be like, oh my God, I'm experiencing all this negative emotion. Question is, the animal's just died. How do you want to feel? Right? You could... And, and it's not that there are inappropriate, you know, it's it's not like it's inappropriate for you to feel sad because that's what emotions are there for. But the question is, 
like maybe you've grieved over the loss of this animal, but you don't want to forever more like feel sad, right? So, but every time you think about it, it's now making you like depressed and you can't come to work and now you're or anxiety for the next confidence. Right. Yeah. So like, okay, this thing happened, but how do you want to feel about it? Right. It's a super hard question to answer, actually. I'm 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 trying to put myself in that that mind space. And how do you want to feel about it? Like I actually don't have an answer to that question. I like I've been very, very fortunate in my career never to lose an animal under anesthetic touch wood. I've worked in teams where it's happened and I've I've looked after people like and been the supervisors or manager of people where it's happened. It's devastating for the people when it happens. And anyone in medicine who's not made a mistake is is just a liar. So I made a ton of them and some serious mistakes and you are just gutted. You're absolutely gutted. You're angry, you're ashamed, you're guilty. You're anxious about what happens next. Am I going to get sued? Am I going to get struck off? Is that my license gone? Sure. I don't know how I want to. I, I want it to be over <laughs> as an emotional event. But yeah, but, and, I, and it would, I would be lying. I, I know what. Like I can say, oh, I want to be wiser and never make that mistake again. But I don't, <laughs> I'm not thinking that in the moment. How do you engage and grapple with such big emotions? Well, one of the things that I'd have you recognize is you mentioned, you listed off a whole number of different emotions there. And for every event that happens in our life, we have lots and lots of thoughts. It's not one, right? So if you just describe feeling like gutted and guilty and ashamed and afraid, like all these different emotions, it's because this one event then led you down all these different paths of thinking. You're looking at the situation from from different angles. So one angle is, I should have done this differently. And then you might feel guilty. And the other is, I am a bad physician, or, you know, I'm a bad doctor. And then you feel ashamed. And then you tell yourself they are going to fire me and then you feel afraid. So you're looking at this one thing happened and now you're going in all directions thinking about all the things that so are associated with it. triggering the emotion. Yeah. So all the different thoughts are leading to all the different emotions. And so we have to slow down first and foremost, right? Like it's overwhelming to take all of that in at once. And so what I would have you do is do a thought download, right? All the thoughts that you have about it. And then ask yourself, when you think this one thought, how do you feel? And you're able to kind of make that arrow from the thought to this specific feeling. And then you might have like three different thoughts that lead you to feeling guilty. Or, you know, you might have one thought that leads you to feeling two different emotions. But ultimately, I want you to see the connection between your thoughts and your feelings. And once you have all that on paper... Then you can say, okay, like this is like, let's say I just want to work first and foremost on feeling guilty, right? And the the reason I feel guilty is because the thought that goes through my mind is I should have done it differently. Okay. And so I would say to you, okay, well, that is a thought that's creating guilt, but you didn't do it differently. You did it the way you did it. And there's nothing you can do about it now, right? What do you want to feel about the fact that you did it the way that you did? 
right? You're not going to change it. And thinking about what you could have, should have, whatever, doesn't change what is, right? So some of it is also thinking about what are the things that you can control and what are the things that you can't? And we talked a little bit about this earlier, and that is that the only thing that you can control is what has to do with you right now and in the future, but you can't change the past. So if it's something that either has nothing to do with you or something that in some way, shape or form is out of your control because, you know, it could be you, but it was in the past, then the only thing you can do is just focus in on how am I thinking and feeling about it now? What am I doing about it now? Or what am I going to do moving forward? Which is kind of like what you were saying, what is the lesson that I can learn? It's a painful mm-hmm. lesson, but I've learned a lesson nonetheless. And that is serving for me to be a better doctor moving forward. And when you think about that, yes, this animal died. And yes, you have all kinds of thoughts and feelings about that. But if you said to yourself, you know, as painful as this is, this is part of my training to be a much better doctor moving forward, how would you feel? There would be an element of relief. An element of relief. Now, the situation hasn't changed. But notice it's what you feed your brain that is going to align with how you feel. And notice that when you feel guilty, what kind of behaviors you engage in are going to be very different from the kind of behaviors you engage in when you feel relieved. Yeah, they're really self-deprecating, self-flagellating, beat yourself up behaviors versus, okay, now there's a, there's a levity coming back because you're moving through it. But there's one thing in there I don't want to let go of. And this, this may be, a, I don't know if this is a bad or a good question. I instinctively want to hold the sadness for the event. I don't yeah. want that to leave because that matters. That's almost like that's my compassion right there. Sure, That's what I was saying earlier. I think there is a space for that. I think that like one of the things that I teach is that every emotion for the most part has a purpose and we are so afraid. We're deathly afraid of our emotions. And that's where people do what you said earlier, which is they go drink or they go <laughs> just like eat a bunch of sugar or they go you know, gambling, or they'll go shopping, or they'll go smoking, or they will they do something to change their state, because they don't want to sit with their emotions, because it feels so scary. Like, it's not even just that it's painful. But sometimes it's just that I'm not even allowing myself to experience that it's painful. But in my mind, it's going to be painful if I let it. So I'm just running away and finding ways to not feel it. But All our emotions actually are there for a reason. And we have to understand how they work. And the idea is to allow our emotions to be there, but then not to stay stuck in them. And so everything that I'm teaching is not about avoiding your emotions, but it's about like, yes, if you have a loss in your life, you need to grieve. Sadness is there to purposely slow you down. Because what happens when we're sad? We become sluggish, right? Like think about when somebody dies, you know, we typically will stop working. We'll go to the funeral. We'll spend time with friends. We take time off of work or we'll stay in bed. And, you know, we'll like, we just slow our lives down, right? Mm. And that gives us an opportunity to fully experience the sadness and grieve the loss of this person 
And we go through a certain period and every like, like different religions also like will incorporate these kinds of cultural structures into that where it's like, you know, there's certain expectations of like what you could and, you know, what you can and can't do or what you should and shouldn't do. Right. Because we know as human beings, like we need this process, we need this time. And so I think on a cultural level, if we say like, this is a phenomenon that we give ourselves permission to experience, then we're, we're going to be more likely to do that. So there's not going to be that same sort of cultural thing. If you're making a mistake at work, or if you've lost that animal at work, it's not, you know, culturally the same, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to experience the same emotions. Like people have those very strong, sad emotions come up when they lose their pet. Right. But culturally, we don't have like do the funeral and do the wake and do the this and do the that. like we don't have all that. But doesn't mean that it's not sometimes even more painful than losing somebody in your life that's not an animal. So I think it's just like you are going to experience it based on your attachment. Right. And if it was a meaningful figure in your life, you're going to experience sadness and you want to allow yourself to grieve and go through that process. The idea here is just not to get stuck there. And that's where ultimately you say, you know what? I've gone through this period. I don't want to stay here forever. Like I want to be able to like move on with my life. There's so much more that I still haven't finished in this lifetime that I want to get to. Right. It's kind of like parents who lose a child. They've got three other kids at the house. They can't just like disappear. Right. They still have other kids that need them and they they still have their responsibilities as a parent. So like it is hard. I'm not going to minimize that. But at some point we have to feel like we're ready for the next step. And when we're there, then you have to be able to work on your mind and ask yourself these hard questions of like, okay, I've had my process of grieving. I'm ready to move on. But like now it's not even about the sadness. Now it's about the guilt or the shame or the fear or whatever else is going on. And now I have to deal with that. And the question is like, I don't want to be afraid of losing my job or I don't want to be afraid of being alone because I got a divorce forevermore. Or I don't want to feel ashamed of myself because I made one mistake when I've been doing this work and I've never made a mistake before and probably won't make one again for a very long time, whatever the case may be. So then that's where you have to have that dialogue with yourself and really find out like, if I don't want to feel this way anymore, how do I want to feel? And you said happy before. And sometimes that is a bit of a stretch. And so we want to be able to find something if that is hard for you, because for some people it's not, and then it's easy for them to get there. So, so long as they find that alternative way of thinking about it. But for those who feel like it's too much of a stretch, then ask yourself, like, what would it be to get to neutral? What would it take for me to just get to neutral from feeling so incredibly awful? Yeah, just to feeling a sense of peace or a Mm. sense of calmness. What would I have to think just to be at peace with what was? Just the acceptance, right? You know, the most incredible emotion as we're we're speaking that I I think the one that I noticed the most, because there's a lot of joy in being a vet as well, but the... It's peace and it's actually serenity is the one I experience so infrequently that it just, it hits me like a freight train anytime I experience it. And I think, wow, if I could feel this all of the time, that would be pretty something. And I wonder 
you know, I always feel like anxiety is, you know, a problem, particularly in, again, younger vets. This word perfectionism feels like, as we're talking, there might be a relationship between perfectionism and burnout. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, and I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to circle back to this whole idea of stress and how it feeds into burnout. And we talked about the demands of the situation, but I also really emphasize this in my book about how too often it's not just the situation, but it is the internal demands that we place on ourselves that bring up all of that stress and lead to burnout. And I really work with a lot of high achievers. So these are people who expect a lot of themselves. And often you do see perfectionism coming up as something that it's not necessarily just that they're in these high stress situations because that's they're just drawn to challenges and to proving themselves and to doing a lot. But it's also like like how they're showing up to those high stress situations, right? And that's where they're demanding so much of themselves. And not only is it like it has to be perfect, but it's coupled with constantly beating themselves up for not being perfect, not being good enough. And what I really think is underneath that is a deep sense that they are not enough. And it becomes like a sense of overcompensation. So I need to prove that I am great, that I can do this, you know. And um, this is something that is so incredibly universal, this sense of inadequacy that so many of us walk around with. Yep. And obviously, unless you're talking about it, nobody knows that you have it. That's where especially people who feel like they have that imposter syndrome. Nobody on the outside would be able to tell, but you feel it so strongly. And the same goes for that belief of like feeling inadequate or feeling like you're not good enough. It doesn't become apparent unless you talk about it because you're doing amazing things in the world and people only see that. Right. You know, so, so much of it is just our whole inner dialogue, our belief system and a lot of the way in which we think about things is going to be determined by that lens of our beliefs. So if you believe that you're not good enough, and I, I can give you some specific examples to kind of just illustrate how this works, but right, right. then everything that happens in your life, you are filtering it through that very specific lens. And that's going to lead you to feeling more shame or feeling like you need to compensate, improve more and more and more. And that's where people really burn out because they're constantly focusing externally on what are other people thinking, worried about other people's judgments and waiting for that validation, right? And so they're constantly putting themselves out there too much, focusing too much on all the outside stuff where really it's the inner work that needs to change in order for them to have a completely different experience on this planet where they don't need to overcompensate. But we've got generations plugged into social media now, and you've just described everything that is bad about social media. Like you're, you, you can't not compare, you can't not seek validation. They're very carefully built to make sure that you are doing all of those things. 
how on earth does one manage your sense of anxiety of not being enough when all you're doing is comparing your own standard life to everybody else's best bits filtered up awesomeness and you're when every time you push something out you're chasing the chasing the little sugar cube of likes 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 comments 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 this is surely psychologically wrecking us yeah well i would say there's probably two answers to that the kind <laughs> two of words simple... switch off <laughs> <laughs> i think the simple thing to talk about and for people to do is to just create more boundaries about how much you let in and how much you allow because it's it's the same with you know, we talk about that in terms of comparison, but then we talk about like how the media can be really bad for your mental health because they're focusing on all the negatives and creating all this hype. And then you feel really anxious. And I've got clients who become highly anxious because of all the things happening in the news. And then that gets resolved and they never actually feel that like, oh, now I can relax because then there's the next thing and there's always the next thing and the next thing. So you have to create some boundaries around like how much you really engage with all this outside stuff. That's the simple answer. I think though, the deeper work that would really make a significant impact on people who are struggling with all of that external validation stuff and the overcompensation, the perfectionism and all of that is to really work on a deep level on their beliefs because everything trickles down from there. So if you believe that you are not enough, which I, as I said, is very universal. Then everything that happens, we're talking about circumstances, you know, you're in different situations, you're going to interpret it through your lens of not being enough. And so typically, we'll explain things away. We have what's called confirmation bias, where our brain is seeking out evidence to confirm what we already believe to be true. Okay, so give you an example. I had a client who was in a dead end relationship. And she really was into this guy and she wanted to marry him and she wanted to build a life and all these things. And he kept stalling and he kept saying, in three to five years, I'm going to buy a house. And she's like, well, what about like, let's just get married. And he's like, we need to first buy a house. You know, and he just kept like giving her the runaround. And her interpretation was, it's because I'm not a good enough girlfriend. I got to do more. I got to show up more. I got to, you know, and this is like where you see these like super high achievers. They're always feeling like it's because I'm not doing enough. I got to do more. And then we do more and we get so stressed out and then we burn out. Right. And it's always this idea of like coming from a place of lack. Like I'm missing something. I got to compensate for that. And then everything's going to be fine. Then he'll love me. Then he'll marry me. Then I'll have the best life then I'll have the happy ending. And the truth of the matter is that it wasn't the right interpretation. But she couldn't see it any other way so long as she really believed that she was inadequate. And just to kind of give you the happy ending of that story. So we worked together. She was able to completely shift out of the way that she thinks. I also had her do this exercise where I had her get super clear on what she wants in a partner. They take out a piece of paper and I want you to write line by line exactly what Mr. Wright is like. 
So you've already learned all the things you don't want. Now tell me all the things that you do want. And she made a list of literally like 50 things. Oh, God. Right? <laughs> Talk about perfectionism. I'm getting anxious just thinking about this. Let me tell you what happened. Yep. So fast forward, this was at the beginning of COVID. And she was like really struggling because then it was like, oh, my God, I feel so lonely. I'm like working from home. I'm an extrovert. I need people around me. I'm not in a relationship like, ah. And now I was circling back to her and I was like, look at this. It's a year later, a year since you've done that exercise. Listen to what's changed in her life. She has found the guy on the paper. He is the most incredible partner. He is the complete opposite of the guy she was dating. He is so grounding for her because she has like a lot of anxiety. He's so grounding. He's so understanding. He's so welcoming. He's so loving. He wants to marry her. They've moved in together, like happy ending, right? And she said to me the other day, I was just thinking about that piece of paper where I wrote all the things. And she's like, I can't find it. But I was just thinking about all the things. I remember I wrote like 50 things on there. And I feel like he meets every single thing on that paper. So can you do that? I feel like I want to insert the word veterinary medicine where it was this lady. Can you do that at the risk of having everybody leave veterinary medicine right away who does this exercise? You know, if you have what feels like an abusive partner, and I think that's what it feels like for a lot of people in veterinary medicine, this is an employer, or, and I, I don't know that that's fair to employers, but it's an industry or a profession that seems to take everything because there's always another client. There's always an another emergency. There's a client that will tell you you're a bad human being because you didn't do it for free. And we focus on all those negatives and it just keeps coming. When that is the love of your life, like, are we done? Like, am I wasting my time with veterinary medicine? Like, that's the question. How do we answer that question and not eviscerate an entire profession? So I would say that First and foremost, when it comes to burnout, there are different reasons why people burn out. And it depends on what your reason is that we have to tailor the solution. So if the reason you're burned out is because it's a very bad fit and you didn't realize that, then usually you just really have to find something that's a better fit. Right. Like right. sometimes it's a bad fit because culturally, you know, people work in toxic environments and you it's made a choice like, when you were 17 and oh, or just, funny enough, or that just, wasn't a great choice. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's not even your career, but sometimes it's just the place in which you work has a very toxic environment. And like you can work on your mind all day long, but like, yep. do you really want to be there when you can be somewhere else? Then you go and you find something else. Sometimes it's really about your career where it's just not the right fit. Like if you're the kind of person who couldn't live with yourself, if you did lose an animal, then this is probably not the place for you. As much right. as you love animals, like maybe you love them too much where like you're going to feel destroyed on a soul level that this is probably like you should be a pet owner and not a vet, you know, that sort of thing. So it really depends. And I would say this, if the reason you're burned out is because Everything stresses you out because you become overwhelmed, because you take on too much, because you have no boundaries, because you're always saying yes to everybody else just because they ask. If it's for those kinds of reasons 
and it goes back to some of your definition about time management and skill and all this kind of stuff. Like if it's things that you have control over like that, then we can work together and we can figure this out and we can get you to a place where you show up to the exact same job and have a completely different experience and everybody's happy because you get to stay in medicine and do the thing that you love. But with some exceptions, I think there are there are people who it really is just not a fit. You're the person who's going to determine that for yourself. And I've spoken to physicians who are in emergency medicine and maybe they were good for that at some point, but then something in their life changed. Like they had kids and now they don't want to work these crazy shifts and they don't want to work overnights or whatever it is. And it's messing with their sleep and they want to be able to like just have a regular job and come home and, you know, be on the same page as everybody else. Like at some point you have, you have to make the call about like, is this good for me? And, and, you know, I have a family member who is a physician or, or a nurse who worked overnights. And when she had little kids, she loved it because then she could spend her days with them rather than put them in like a daycare. Like she would work nights and then she would spend her days with her kids and she loved it. Right. So it's not like there's a right and a wrong. It's just, is it a fit? And it could be a fit for you today and not be a fit for you tomorrow because your life is also evolving and changing. And so you have to constantly like reassess and see where am I now? And the same thing goes with relationships, right? Like you marry a person and they were an amazing fit for you, but then you grew apart for whatever reason. And it's not about blaming or shaming or anything. It's just like, I need somebody else now, or I'm not happy with this person anymore, or they've changed or I've changed or whatever. And it's okay. Nothing has to be forever. It's just always coming back to the place of, is this the best thing for me right now? Right. And if it's not, then there's probably something else for you because ultimately it's like we said before, it's not about staying in like this dead end thing that is going to make you miserable. It's like always about finding your happiness and feeling a sense of fulfillment because, Hey, if we only get one run at this life, then why waste it? Right? Like, why would you just like stay stuck somewhere because you're too afraid to take a chance on your happiness. Like I say, give yourself the the permission to find something that's better. Now, if you love medicine and you need to just figure out how to make it work, hire a coach, work with somebody who's going to help you figure it out because sometimes we can't see our own blind spots. We need somebody to be able to come in and say like, hey, I've helped so many people that have this issue and I can totally see it from a completely different angle and let me show you and then you go and do these things and then you come back and you give me kind of like what your experience is and then we tweak it and whatever and we get you there, right? Like sometimes that's possible for people. So I would say if you're in that place of burnout, don't give up. Like think about, you got to be creative. You got to think about like, what are all the things that I could do? Doesn't mean you're going to do all of them, but you could say like, I could just change to a different job, or I could completely quit my career and start over and do something else, or I could have early retirement, or I can create additional streams of income, or I can hire a coach, or like all the things, right? And then figure out what's the best option for me right now and go with that. There's a lot of tools. Do leaders have a responsibility in this? How would I be a good mentor for younger colleagues or less experienced colleagues? 
in managing situations and spotting burnout and creating situations where burnout doesn't happen as much? How can I be a better mentor? You're talking about mentoring the people who are in leadership or the people who are being led by poor leaders? Right. Sorry. Uh, so yes, uh, if I am a leader in a practice, say there's a leader in a practice listening to this just now thinking their mind's kind of been blown by what you're saying just now. How can they be a better leader for their people? Yeah. You know, that would make me so happy if there were like people listening to this who are leaders who can actually make an impact on a strategic level for everybody that is beneath them because it does trickle down incredibly. And I think if you, let's say, are somebody who cares about, you know, I think if you think about it, it's not just this like throwaway culture, you know, like we've been talking about how people are dropping like flies for medicine because they're burned out. Like, I think we do have a responsibility to the people that we are leading. That's what the definition of being a leader is. And I would probably say that you as a leader have your own experience of what it's like to feel enormous amounts of stress, to work under a lot of pressure, to work long hours, all these things. And so, you know, thinking about like what would make it more sustainable for you would probably be a good place to start. And for a lot of people, it's about, you know, it could be about like giving them more of a break, implementing a lot of organizations, what they've done is they've implemented things into the culture to help their workers not burn out. So things like mindfulness trainings, bringing in a coach for the whole team, things like giving them maybe like some time off. But sometimes, you know, it could be the little things like just recognizing your employees. So Mm -hmm. when you have your staff meeting, just calling people out and saying like, you know, you've done a phenomenal job. And I know it's been really a tough week. We've had a lot of cases come in and this and that, or I've been noticing like you've been putting in extra hours. just want you to know we so appreciate everything you're doing. Sometimes just that recognition, because we said that one of the biggest symptoms of burnout is that mental exhaustion, but sometimes having that recognition just fills you up with that sense of, you know what, it's not for nothing. I'm putting in so much work. And when I feel like it is appreciated and I'm seen, it all of a sudden re-energizes me. You're filling filling your tanks by making someone else feel significant that they matter. So sometimes it's just the little things that really go a long way. And sometimes it's really like about creating some more structural changes. And I would say as any good leader knows, the best way to do it is to really survey your team and ask them like, what's going on? How are you doing? What do you need? And they'll tell you. And based on all the input that you're getting, you can put together some sort of a program that would address those needs. And when they feel like you are taking their input and doing something about it, It is going to make the biggest difference in their experience because they might say, yeah, I know that there are a lot of expectations of me in this job, but I feel so taken care of. I feel so understood. I feel like I'm important. Like people are treating me with respect. And sometimes that's enough. 
I love it. What's going on and, and what do you need? Such powerful questions. Uh, Dr. Sharon, this is the time has absolutely flown and there's so much to process and unpack here. I want to say thank you for your time. So your book, The 7E Solution to Burnout, and listen, your coaching programs just they also sound super cool. Where can people learn more about you? Where do you like to be engaged with? Where can they pick up a copy of your book? Where are the places on the socials that you like to play? So I like to keep it simple for people. <laughs> so I've Good got everything. Choice. I've got everything in one spot. So if you want to learn more, go to my website, drsharongrossman.com. I've got a link there if you want to get the book. It's available on Amazon. So you can link to it right from my website. I've also got a burnout assessment tool that you can take and kind of see how you're doing. I've got a free starter kit, kind of mindset mastery starter kit. So when you sign up for that, you get a whole bunch of resources on everything under the sun, including stress, anxiety, imposter syndrome, self-sabotage, like all the things that we've been talking about, burnout. So that's a really great place to get started as well. I've got a free webinar on there that you can watch. So lots and lots of resources right off my website. Tons of great content. And we'll link up your website and your book and your your socials also from the show notes as well. Dr. Sharon, that was fantastic. Uh, just, I, I so enjoyed the conversation. There's just like, normally I have a couple of pages of questions. I swear to God, I made it through three of them. And then just all these other questions sparked off, which is usually to my mind anyway, the sign of a good conversation. So thank you so much. You've been super generous with your time. And I just, I love the work. This is such big, it's a big subject to tackle. I really, I hope that people will engage with you and that you can help us as you've helped medics as well, because Lordy knows we need it. So thank you. Have an awesome afternoon, wherever you, where you're in your time zone, because we're separate, but quite a few hours. So uh, Exactly. And I just want to say thank you to all the work that you guys are doing in the world. We appreciate you. We love you. And we're so grateful for all the things that you do. And that's a huge sacrifice sometimes on your end. And thanks, Dave, for the podcast and having a way of providing resources to vets out there who are struggling. You're welcome. Well, it's always it's a joy to do it because I get to speak with people like you. So thank you. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to learn a bit more about what uh, Dr. Sharon does, then do check out her website at drsharongrossman.com and you can find her book, The 70 Solution to Burnout on Amazon. Now, before you hop off, if you've enjoyed this show uh, or if you know somebody that you think could really do with listening to the burnout episode, please do forward it on. And also subscribe on iTunes. Just click the follow the show button and you will automatically get every new episode as it is released. I appreciate you for listening. Thank you very much and do take care. Until next episode, be safe, be well and be happy.